This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out this afternoon. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And we're officially into August here, which means a Seafair weekend. Are you guys big yeah. uh, Are you guys big Seafair fans? Do you go out on a boat? Do you spend some time soaking it up in the sun? We will be out on the water somewhere, but just not around Seafair. Too many boats, too much traffic, uh, too many people. Gotcha, gotcha. I get that. I think it's a fun event for people, but m- maybe once you've already done it, it's not something you want to brave the crowd for every year. event. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, I've got a couple friends who are really into the hydros, so sometimes, uh, sometimes yeah. we'll go down and watch those. Or, yeah, we'll be out on the log boom, you know, trying to get my trying to get my tan on during during <laughs> Seafair. Then you get to see the Blue Angels all around town all of week. Of course. And the parade kicks it off, uh, the big parade through downtown Seattle. So that, that's already been done and, and over. And uh, lots of people hanging out the windows and uh, generally screwing up traffic around the Seattle area. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did the uh, Capitol Hill Heritage opening go, Justin? It was good. So I opened uh, a little over a week ago and in the middle of block party weekend. So there was you know thousands of people up there and three days of mayhem and debauchery and but everything was under control and now we're getting kind of regular customers starting to come in and trying products and checking out the space we've designed and some of the unique features and we're just glad to be open and you know welcoming folks from the neighborhood awesome all right what's going on in the headlines this week well we know about the uh, fukushima nuclear disaster from a couple of years ago uh, back in 2011 that big meltdown and sparked by a huge uh, tsunami that uh, washed ashore and knocked out power and caused the backup pumps to fail and big plume of uh, radiation traveling around. And now researchers at the French National Center for Scientific Research reported that they are starting to find small doses of cesium-137 in red and rosé wines. And so it's starting to show itself up in the grapes and then rolling through now in the winemaking process. It says that experts said in such small doses it does not pose a health risk, but still, that sounds pretty scary. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people just don't want any of that in their body, and they, uh, you know, rightly so, are concerned about it. And uh, what you really have to watch for is concentration, and, uh, you know, it may be that it hit the grapes, it may be that it hit the soil and it's still working its way through the soil and then up through the vines. So, um, you know, for sure they're going to be tracking it for the next couple of years. And I'm sure we'll be seeing reports on whether or not that level of the season 137 is in fact increasing. Something to keep your eye on for sure. Another thing to keep your eye on, this next (laughs) article, uh, the headline says Canadian scientists create first beer brewed from cannabis ahead of legalization. What's up with this, John? Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) the folks in Canada are making cannabis uh, legal nationwide and there's a huge gold rush in the entire country right now hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in u.s investment dollars are flowing up into canada into these companies and uh, those same companies are waiting before they make uh, the same investments in the u.s until it is approved nationally in the u.s so in canada now you have uh, this company that's coming out with uh, beer 
infused uh, with cannabis that had a legalization, and uh, they're using some of the cannabis in the place of hops so that they actually are making beer uh, with actual cannabis, not just an infusion of oils in the back end. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the past, right? We've talked about some of what's going on with uh, Canada directly when it comes to cannabis. Oh, yeah. So Canadians are way ahead of us on this. And even though you have some states uh, now, um, uh, 11 states with some level of legalization and a few more uh, that are going to be voting on it this November, both for recreational and um, medical purposes, including in Utah now. There's a debate in Utah about whether to approve it for medical purposes. Think about that for a minute. But Canada is so far ahead to make it fully legal and to basically allow it to be um, at the recreational level, ready to go. These huge companies we talked about, Constellation Brands is one of them, uh, where we all know them to be about beer, wine, spirits. Uh, if you think about uh, Svetka Vodka or uh, Negra Medella Beer or Corona Beer, perhaps the most famous for Corona Beer, now they've said we're investing heavily into um, cannabis in Canada. They're just waiting for the U.S. to open up at the federal level to make it legal. Wow, so it wouldn't be like small fringe companies that would be making these? No, it's, well, they would. If it became legal, you'd have small fringe companies, uh, not, not small, but I'd say craft, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. your local yeah. craft brewery. Um, they're not fringe. They're actually very much mainstay. Uh, but they would be able to uh, um, harness that legally. The big companies that are publicly traded and have all sorts of additional regulatory oversight because they're publicly traded aren't going to touch it in the U.S. until it becomes legal federally across the board. Yeah. Well, speaking of new innovations, this next one has really piqued my interest. Uh, Is there apparently a scratch and sniff rosé out there on the market? Yeah. So just when you think you've heard of everything, (laughs) now this comes up. So uh, hoping to ride the pink wine way, the California rosé with a watermelon scented scratch and sniff label is now on sale in the U.S., it's sold by Wink.com, spelled W-I-N-C.com, $15 a bottle. The watermelon dotted label releases the scent of, a, of the fruit when scratched and echoes the aroma of the wine inside. So uh, it's essentially kind of a watermelon-type uh, wine, uh, but with a rosé color. Well, we know a lot of people pick their wines based on the look of the label, and now you add another element to that, I guess. Right? Another sense. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I want to sit and drink watermelon wine. Um, sounds you know, too sweet. That's, that's, it sounds <clears throat> a little sweet, and if it's made with real watermelons, that'd be one thing. If it's got the watermelon kind of sour patch type thing, then uh, that would not be what you are uh, expecting. And, of course, we know... When you have your mind set on something, whether you're going to eat it, drink it, and then you put that in your mouth and it doesn't taste anything like it, there's this like visceral reaction that you have, and almost not always in a good way. So if you're, th- if you're drinking this, uh, realize it's a watermelon-based wine and just prepare yourself mentally. <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to see how this goes. I mean, the company has been producing uh, wine for several years, so they probably already have a little bit of a following, but I'll be interested to see how people really take to the, to the, the scratch-and-sniff element. Yes, the label on the front says Cocomero, which means watermelon in Italian, and uh, it's an Ah, Italian-based company that had come up with it, but it's being produced now in California. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, did you know the type of glass that you're drinking out of can affect the way your wine tastes? It's very important news. It's next on Cast Club Radio. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I teased it before the break. Did you know the type of glass that you're drinking your wine out of? Well, it can have a significant effect on the way the wine actually tastes. This has piqued both Mora and I's interest because we're avid wine drinkers, but we're chatting about it. We will just pretty much drink wine out of whatever's available. I'll go to a mason jar if it comes to it. So, Justin, this is pretty intriguing, and uh, you know a lot about this. What is it that we need to know is precisely about the different types of glasses we use when drinking our wine? Well, before we go into some of the uh, technical items of each one, I have been known to drink wine out of a Dixie cup or oh. a campfire. Before, <laughs> See, so, you're right there uh, with us. I love it. <clears throat> Do what you have. Not an issue. And on, exactly. <laughs> and on the boat, we use reusable stainless steel Yeti type mm-hmm. cups with lids or Dixie cup type stuff because you don't want glass breaking when you're walking around barefoot. No. You know, it's just fact of life. Safety yeah. first. Um, so there are four different things that the experts, and we talk about the experts, so these are the folks who focus on wine all the time. They focus on material, thickness, joint and seam quality, and then machine versus hand-blown glass. That's what they focus on. But, you know, the folks who are experts in wine, these level two and three sommeliers and the, the what we call the enophiles, mm-hmm. they are looking for such specific things in wine because they are trained to pick up every nuance of flavor, balance, aroma, texture, the whole thing. Whereas most of us at the consumer level are just trying to figure out what kind of wine do we like, what's the flavor profile, how are we going to drink it, what are we going to pair with it. So we'll go through some of what the technical experts are focused on, but then we can talk about what are some of the practical realities. So first and foremost, material. Wine glasses are most often crafted from uh, thicker, less expensive glass or crystal, which is clearer, thinner, and more expensive. Uh, In the past, crystal would contain lead. Nowadays, crystal doesn't have lead in it. We've got the new unbreakable materials, and those are coming on uh, the market again. Yeah. (laughs) That's for you, unbreakable. I'm with you. Thickness, uh, some say that for best wine drinking experiences, you want ultra-thin walls and rims so you can taste the flavor of your wine and not the glass. Mm. I don't know that I buy that. You know, we always say the first glass of wine will will have the true flavor. By the time you get into glass two or three, your senses uh, have become dulled. So enjoy that first glass, <laughs> and after that, uh, you know, enjoy the camaraderie of your family and friends. When it comes to joint and seam quality, the experts say that the best quality and the most durable glasses have no discernible seams, uh, between the bowl and the stem or down the vertical seam uh, along the stem. So you want to make sure you cannot see a seam or joint anywhere. That's the best quality. And then final is machine-blown versus hand-blown. Uh, mouth-blown glass is usually lighter and thinner than machine-blown counterparts, but the premium machine-blown glasses, the premium ones, have excellent quality and uniform thickness. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about the realities. <laughs> what kind of wine are you drinking? If we talk about white wines, Pinot Grigios, Chardonnays, and so on, usually you're going to have those chilled. You want those to be in a glass with a stem because you're going to hold the glass uh, by the stem with your fingers, and you're going to allow the chilled component of the wine to remain chilled as long as possible versus like a Pinot Noir glass. If you've seen the Pinot Noir glasses where they have no stem, it's a flat bottom and it sits by itself. Mm-hmm. That's designed so that when you pour the Pinot Noir, you actually you're holding it in your hands and the heat is transferred from your hand through the glass, which is a good conductor of heat, to uh, heat up the 
uh, Pinot Noir a little bit. And when you heat up the Pinot Noir a little bit, just that natural change in temperature, it opens up the bouquet and you're getting some more of those fruitier notes coming through uh, your nose as you're drinking the wine, sipping the wine. That's why the opening of the Pinot Noir glass is a little wider than the white wine glass. If you notice the white wine glasses, uh, they usually are smaller, the bowl is smaller, and the opening along the top is smaller. Everything is chilled. You're trying to contain everything in there, and because everything is chilled, uh, you're not getting as much of that bouquet escaping from the liquid. Now, if you want a really beautiful, rich, heavy red wine, you're going to have a big goblet. You're going to have a big bowl, a big, nice, wide-open mouth, and you're going to have that be at room temperature because the aromas that burst forward out of that red wine uh, is encapsulated in filling that bowl, and your nose will fit entirely in the bowl as you're drinking it, and you're going to get all of that flavor coming through. I thought it was interesting. I, I see here that it's, the experts say that one of the reasons that white wine glasses were smaller, they say, is just kind of also an outdated thought that white wine used to be inferior. And they said now that white mm. wines, white wines are just as quality as red wines. Absolutely. Just as quality. And again, it's a function of um, the environment you're you're drinking it in. I also think that uh, look at everything that's happening in America these days is portions are still getting bigger and uh, you see these the pouring size is getting bigger and so people are sitting down and, and pouring themselves a bigger pour of the wine. Now when we talk about the realities for folks in downtown Seattle as an example, downtown Portland, downtown Chicago, you're living in smaller homes, condominiums, small apartments. These apartments are getting down to where they're just a few hundred feet. Nobody has room for a full set of wine glasses for white wine and a separate full set for Pinot Noir and a separate full set for reds. As you said earlier, you've got limited room and you really don't care what you're drinking out of. You're going to have a couple of glasses and those glasses are going to be used for everything. And uh, just enjoy how it feels in your hand. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I really liked this quote uh, in the article. It said, the glass is not to make the wine taste better. It's really to show how the wine producers want it to be presented and continues on. It's very important for the producers. It's a hell of a lot of work, generations of work. Then you put the glass on the table. I don't understand why people are buying expensive wine and drinking it in bad glasses. I just like that. Well, again, so this is somebody who uh, is in the business and their heart and soul has gone into the bottle as opposed to, you know, someone... Um, like you, you might live in a small house or a small apartment, uh, the listener out there, and, and uh, they don't have room for all the glassware. They True. Just don't. And at the end of the day, if you open a Bud Light or you open the best local craft beer, you're going to pour it in the same pint glass at the end of the day uh, because it's really about how you have become accustomed to enjoying it. Now, my wife Jennifer, on the other hand, has started to geek out over some of the really amazing designs of red wine glassware. And uh, she's been finding some really beautiful stuff out there, Uh, especially the stuff that is harder to break. The harder to break stuff is now hitting the market, and it's pretty reasonably priced. Uh, And they do look beautiful. If you're having a party, they do look quite stunning. Yeah, there's definitely, we've talked a lot on the show about aesthetics, whether it was of a bar or a place you're going into. And I would think uh, if you are a host or if this is a, presentation aesthetic oriented thing that glasses could make a huge difference as part of the overall presentation uh, especially if you've got the full setting on the table with the chargers and multiple uh, forks and spoons and uh, multiple 
uh, servings going around. Absolutely, don't skip on the wine glasses. But for everyday consumption, you know, it's got to be. Dixie cups are okay. The, Dixie cups are okay. You know, glass is still there's still something about glass. Uh, make sure it's easy to clean, uh, easy to get inside, easy to dry, and uh, most importantly. If you break one, you want to make sure you can continue to go get those. So, you know, find the style that you can go to the store and get some more um, as your guests destroy them. Good point. Yeah. There's one other thing I see on here that I actually have tried. I, I went on a trip to Spain at one point, and we brought back one of the, they're called a Perón. The, um, it's a uh, traditional yeah. Spanish glass pitcher that has a spout on it. And I know in here the, um, the writer actually says, you may even drink straight from the bottle, though I recommend reserving this method for locker room celebration. <laughs> but it's so fun. You can, you can get a really long stream going and try to. It's it, really festive. So, yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to lie. We drink out of the Perón. How was it? I mean, no. <laughs> uh, did it, that probably I would. This whole thing was about uh, improving the taste. Did that uh, did that improve the, the taste? Um, I don't know. Probably not. No. It was fun. <laughs> it was sure fun. <laughs> it's a really pretty vessel to have wine in. That would be a fun way to present it at a party as well. Yeah. Well, coming up on Cast Club Radio, we'll have a chance to ask an expert about this question. Maybe what's the worst thing he's ever seen someone drinking one of his wines out of? We'll talk with John Patterson of Patterson Cellars. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley here with John Patterson of Patterson Cellars. He is the general manager and winemaker. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Appreciate it. Yeah. We want to dive into everything about Patterson Cellars here in a moment. But before that, we were just having a conversation in the last segment about whether it's important to have different wine glasses for different wines or whether you feel that there might be one glass that you can use for everything. What's your opinion on that? Oh, I'm a strong believer in the two glass system. So we do a uh, a, a red, like a 22 ounce uh, glass for both reds and whites. And I think, my opinion, and just I think the aromatics carry forward in the larger the larger bowl for both whites and reds, and gives you a little more surface area to get the wine to volatilize. I do believe that a sparkling should be enjoyed in a in a flute, and only because most sparkling glasses have an etching in the bottom that allows the CO2 to come out of solution to that point of origination origination for the the CO2. And kind of watch it uh, bubble a little bit there. So that's my only thing that I'm, I don't know, kind of weird about. So, yeah, two I glasses. Agree with I'm good you with that. that. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you on that one. I enjoy sparkling out of the, the taller glass. Have you ever seen anyone enjoy your wine and anything strange? I've seen uh, a few sippy cups at uh, at uh, ball games and or out and about at the Lauda functions and stuff like that for uh, park events and stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, to each their own. I never question. Just uh, not in your car. That that would be my uh, strong advice. So, yes, definitely good. not there. But sippy cups, enjoy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> No, no, no straws anymore. Not in the Seattle area. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, John. Well, I would love to know a little bit more about how you started Patterson Cellars. Oh, uh, this is great. So uh, this will be my second harvest. I started right out of high school. It was a uh, part-time oh, wow. job during harvest when I was first going to college, and then I just ended up coming back each year during harvest. And at thirty, I did a career change, and I decided I wanted to 
really know more about wine and, and uh, start a winery. And so I went back to, to school for that and ended up working full-time for a couple of years at a winery and then progressed into uh, starting Patterson Cellars. So it's, uh, it's um, Patterson Cellars I've had since 2000, started with my father and uh, moved to the Woodenville area in 2007 and have branched out from there. That's awesome that you have your father involved too. Are there there any other family members involved? No, no. My father is it, and he actually I, I voted him off the island a couple of years oh. ago. He's semi-retired now, so he uh, he comes back and works with me about six months out of the year, and then uh, lives in Florida the other time. So it's it's good. It's it's helped our relationship with that break. So well, that doesn't sound like a bad deal for him. No, not at all. He's enjoyed. It. He's uh, he's a lot of fun. We have a great relationship both work and uh, outside of work. So it's perfect. Well, I know since you first got started, it's really grown. Uh, tell me more about all the locations you have now? So we have, um, we just opened our fourth location in Seattle in the uh, Soto district in the, um, the urban wine group there on uh, First Avenue South. And we also have two in Woodenville. We have a location there by Chateau Saint-Michel at the Roundabout and then one over in the warehouse district where we actually do our production. And our fourth location is in Leavenworth. So we've kind of got, I think, a lot of the area of the state's covered. And I don't know if we have a fifth one in the works or not. I would not tell the staff. Otherwise, I'd probably get uh, removed from my general management position and uh, <laughs> in the tasting room details. So, uh but uh, I, it, it's been it's been a lot of work and uh, a lot of fun in putting these tasting rooms together and just getting our product out there, which I've truly enjoyed. That's awesome. I actually have checked out the Woodenville Warehouse location. It's it's such a fun area to go to because you can just bounce around to and check out a little bit of everything while you're down there. But I did not know about the Soto Tasting Room, which is much closer to me, so I'll have to check that out. No, it's 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 a a lot of it's um, you know getting people to drive to Woodenville. A lot of people don't want to venture across the uh, the, the pond or the lake, as I get to hear often. And I think uh, Seattle's put together. Oh, I believe there's almost 30 tasting rooms in the Seattle area, and I think it's a great jumping-off point to learn more about Washington wines and just kind of sample the different AVAs, American viticultural areas, and just learn more about the offerings and stuff. So I'm always amazed that uh, people come through and you get to talk about the the wares that you put together and. And, and, and share the experience. So to me, it's, it's, uh, it's always great. And I try to, my staff loves sharing it as well. Well, speaking of that, what are some of the different varietals that Patterson produces? The varietals. So we're, we're, I think last year we finished with about 17 different varietals from like 20 plus vineyards. Wow. And in that mix, we do about 11 wines consistently. So we do anywhere from sparkling to uh, a late harvest and ports and then in between and it's uh, it's a little hard because people always want to come in and ask what your uh, what you specialize in what's your what's your favorite wine and, and it's like one of those things I think we're large enough as a company now that we don't you know we can kind of go through and if there's something we're not happy with we just decide not to put it in the bottle we will send it to our distilling program to be used in our port but I I think that's the key as you grow as a, a company and just distinguishing between something you continue down the road for and embrace or you uh, move off to the side and, and uh, blend it out or distill it. So no one wine we focus on in general. Is there anything that you have that's a kind of a summer release going on right now? We just finished up rosés. So summer, uh, our rosés, we usually start about February and try to have wrapped up uh, midsummer or so. I think the last wine to come on the, uh, the tasting bars is our uh, 2015 Syrah, and that's coming to you off of uh, predominantly Horse Heaven Hills uh, vineyard selections there for the AVA, and that's been our newest release. I know we've got uh, 
a few fall ones coming out, and we just finished up our 2017 sparkling. Uh, we have a Blanc de Blanc, a sparkling Chardonnay, and then we have a, um, a Pinot Noir Rosé that we do as well, two separate wines of the sparkling nature. That uh, sparkling's fun. I love the uh, I love the bubbles and just putting them in bottle, and it's uh, it's kind of creative. It's uh, Sometimes I get to branch out and we get to do different wines each year, and I kind of view that as my Ridlin. It helps me stay focused, and <laughs> I think continually have to try, re, you know, reinventing yourself and coming out with something that's fun and exciting for the consumer to uh, to get to try instead of just the standard same wines. I mean, we always have our, our go-tos, but I think from uh, people want to see new things on the bar all the time, so we try to change it up a little bit from that nature. Yeah, and speaking of trying new things, I mean, it's always so fun to go to a tasting room and get to learn more about the wine, get to try it hands-on. But now you guys are doing something called the Patterson Experiences, where you offer chocolate and wine pairings or cheese and charcuterie, and people can kind of learn what it's like to pair their wines with food and get to experience that in a different way as well, right? Yeah, so we have um, Heidi Horse with me here at the uh, wineries put this together, and uh, it's through uh, Cellar Pass, and it's been spot on. It was kind of these food and chocolate experiences she's envisioned, and she worked with uh, Eric, my winemaker as well, and kind of coming up with wines that complemented different cheeses, and we sat with uh, Jay Coco and came up with uh, their four or five different chocolates that they thought would pair nicely with different wines, and we brought those in and kind of sat down and did like a, you know, sampling across the board, wrote notes, and and put together specific wines with the different chocolates and tried to create an experience there. And then we have a restaurant in Woodenville we've worked with to, to build more of kind of a charcuterie plate and slash cheese and tapenades and stuff to kind of walk through the wine experience. And we try to gear it around what the, uh, the, the our guest is looking for and, and make it interactive is you know, talking about the wines, talking about the foods and how the, the flavors change with the, the different uh, the different product, you know, the different foods you get to try. And a good experience, you know, I'm sitting there and I've, I've sat in on a couple of them and, and watch the guests, the interaction, and it's uh, it's always great to sit there and they what I think they're going to go through quickly, and they end up spending several hours just enjoying the food and the wines and the chocolates. And I'm like, wow, that's great. They really, we really got to slow down that experience and and, and create something impactful that they get to you know maybe incorporate in there. You know, when they go home and you know open a bottle of wine and you know plot some cheeses and kind of work through it at home and. And, you know, it comes to a great conversation. Yeah, I feel like when you do that at home or go to a restaurant, you're usually, you know, having conversation with your friends or doing other things. and You're not really focusing on how pairing the food with the wine can kind of change the taste. But working in restaurants, I learned to do that. And I think that that would be kind of the cool thing about being able to do that in a tasting room is taking the time to actually notice how it can change things. No, it, it's definitely a lot of fun. It's We have a port. We've been doing a port since uh, 2012, and we've started to pair it at the end of the, the tastings with the chocolates from uh, you know Jay, Cho- Jay Coco. And just seeing how much the port sales have gone up and this just slowing it down and making it interactive for the guest and and, and just you know letting them enjoy what we we think is a, a great solid experience all the time that we might do on the side and just bring it to their attention and definitely fun. I, I, we we're sitting there staring at each other and go, wow, <laughs> we're moving a lot of port. And this is kind of fun. And, I, and I'm hoping the guests are having a great experience in, in doing it. And so we're uh, always trying to learn from things we try and, and present. Yeah, that sounds so fun. And you guys offer event space as well, don't you? We do at our Soto location. It, it's well built out. I'm, I was excited to come across this location. I had shopped that area for years just wanting a, a tasting room in that uh, that district and the space was there sitting vacant and uh, there'd been a, maybe a couple other parties that were 
interested or working towards a lease. And I, I, I got a great team. We wrote this heartfelt letter to the landlord and we ended up with uh, this space. And I was always amazed. I was like, thank you, Stephanie, for putting this letter together. Well done. It's, so we ended up with this uh, 24, 2500 square foot space. We've got an event, you know, kind of a conference room. You can uh, multi-purpose room. We've got a catering kitchen and then, you know, seating for probably 60 to 70 just in the general tasting and, uh, and pouring areas, little outdoor patio, pop-up door. So, and, uh, and parking, that's the amazing part in Seattle is just having Definitely. ample parking. So <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is great. So we're looking forward to uh, seeing what that space has to offer. So it, uh, it, uh, my team did a great job. We did the build out on it, uh, through my crew and, uh, always, always look forward to it. It's, uh, we've got some very talented people that work for us, both in the wine and the, uh, kind of construction end is, um, and putting things together. So a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, John, one more time, tell us where all of the locations are and where people can go to find more information on them. Perfect. So we have uh, four locations and you can always visit us at pattersonsellers.com and we're located in Seattle, Soto region, our area. And then we have two locations in Woodenville and one in Leavenworth. Awesome. We can't wait to get out there and do some tasting ourselves. I'm going to have to get Lydia and Justin down there. Please look forward to hosting you. Thank you again for uh, allowing me to to talk to you about our wines. Yeah, thank you for coming on today. That was John Patterson, general manager and winemaker at Patterson Cellars. Make sure you go check out one of their tasting rooms and maybe one of their new Patterson experience tastings that have food as well this summer. Coming up next, our friend distiller Dane is back with a top five list. And we have a cocktail using Heritage Distilling special brown sugar bourbon that they teamed up with Pearl Jam on to raise money at their home shows for the Vitology Foundation. That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we're joined by one of our favorite people, Distiller Dane on the line. You've got a brand new top five for us. That's what I hear. How's everyone doing? Good. We're, we're good. We're in uh, summer here, full swing. So what is, uh, what's going on with you? What's on your top five this week? All right. I'm also in full summer mode still, so <laughs> with this nice weather, we've been continuing to have. But number one on my list is one of my favorite foods, which I like getting in the summertime, too, and that is clams. You guys fan of clams? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. They're so delicious. I've actually grown up, um, ever since I was little, we'd always go to the Hood Canal, and what we do is we dig them up ourselves. Um, there's nothing better than digging up your own clams, but uh, we always take, you can get like pretty easily at low tide. You go out there and get a quarter to half a bucket, five-gallon bucket of them. Um, you soak them and spit them. We like to cook them in white wine and a butter sauce. And I always throw like bacons, onions, capers, and a little splash of lemon in there with it. Nice. Isn't like a, a old-fashioned clam bake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's fancy. My family's from Boston, and they just uh, steam them up and serve them with butter and call them steamers. <laughs> I love that, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's a quick sure way of have, doing it, too. <laughs> make sure you have a good uh, baguette of French bread or sourdough bread with you, too to stop up all that juice. Yes. All right, what's number two on the list? All right, number two. Are any of you Jonah Hill fans? Sure, yes. yeah. I've had a, right. a well, laugh he or just two. Wrote, he, just, yeah. he just wrote an original story and directed his... Uh, a new movie that is actually coming out soon called Mid 90s. And it's <laughs> apparently supposed to be the trailer's out, so you can go check it out online, the trailer. But it's uh, basically a gritty, minimal film about a, a young kid growing up in LA in the 90s. 
Um, the trailer seemed very interesting, so I suggest checking it out. But I'm also most interested in seeing what the soundtrack might be like or any of the 90s memorabilia that pops up in there since I grew up at the same time period. Very cool. Is is it a dramatic turn? Is it like a dark comedy? It seemed kind of dramatic. Okay. Uh, Not so much. Definitely not a a comedy at all, but there might be some funny parts in there, too. Oh, very interesting. All right. Jonah Hill taking a serious turn. I like it. I I expect to see the model shots of, of Aftershock in that movie. (laughs) <laughs> that you think of that for the 90s? Oh, yeah. And uh, gold <laughs> All right, number three. All right, number three on my list. Have you ever come across that screw or nail and you need to go get more of them, but you don't know exactly what type it is? Sure, yeah, yes. of course. All right, Amazon has now made this easier for you, um, as if they already make everything easy enough to find on the Internet and buy. They just created a new app called Part Finder, um, and this new app, by taking a picture... Um, with it, it'll identify almost any screw, nut, bolt, or fastener, and as well pop up links to either purchase it through Amazon or somewhere else. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty helpful. <laughs> that's awesome. Will they send a guy over to your house to, uh, or gal to yeah. uh, put it back together for you? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's the, the, you know, the 2.0 version, which they're leading up to. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, you know, they've got that uh, camera system that unlocks your door and the app for delivery. Maybe they'll deliver the part and they'll put it together while you're gone. How convenient would that be? Very convenient. (laughs) Scary. All right, number four. All right, number four is uh, actually one of my all-time favorite bands, a classic local Seattle group, and they are known as Minus the Bear. Oh, yeah. Um, And they actually just announced a new album called Fair Enough and their farewell tour. So this will be the last tour. They're parting ways after this. Um, They're actually doing three separate shows in Seattle on December 14th through 16th. I would tell you to get tickets, but it has already sold out. That's impressive. They've been around for a long time, man. I remember listening to them when I was just a, just a teen. Yeah, they've been around, I think, almost 20 years now yeah. in the Seattle area. Impressive. All right. What's Where are they going to be playing? That actually leads me into number five. So they are playing their last few shows at the Showbox Market in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Um, and this is actually one of my favorite Seattle venues. I've actually been going there for almost 15 years uh, when I first started going to music shows. And I don't know if you guys heard the news that's been going around, but they just had their 79th anniversary. And as well, there was an announcement that was announced of plans to demolish the building and build an apartment complex over it. Yeah, yeah I've seen some recent efforts, um, some grassroots efforts, whether it's petitioning or things to, to change that. I know Death Cab for Cutie was heralding that uh, charge, and maybe they'll have some pull, with, especially knowing there's a lot of rich music history and bands with big names behind that, so we'll see. So, great venue if you've never been there before, um, so I just want to give them a shout-out. The latest news I saw on that was that the developer now has agreed to petition to get the showbox on the uh, National Historic Preservation List. Nice. That's a twist. Yeah. Dana, thank you so much, as always, for the top five. We've got plenty of plenty of new things on our list for the uh, for the summertime. All right. We'll take care. All right. Thanks, Dane. Well, if you need one more thing to add to that list, making a Pearl Jam-inspired cocktail could go right with that. Justin, what's this week's cocktail recipe? Yeah, this cocktail recipe was developed by Erin uh, at HDC, and uh, she calls this Last Kiss. And uh, this involves our BSB brown sugar bourbon. Of course, we've got the Pearl Jam-themed labels that we still are selling a few of those uh, ahead of the home shows to uh, raise money for 
the Mitology Foundation for the homeless effort that Pearl Jam was leading. Uh, we start off with two ounces of the BSB brown sugar bourbon, three ounces of lemonade, a quarter ounce of strawberry puree, and you can uh, actually just take fresh strawberries and smash them up uh, if you don't want to make a puree. A fresh squeeze of lemon, and then uh, put all this together in a glass with ice in it, and then uh, squeeze the lemon on top, and it tastes like a strawberry rhubarb pie, and the color is a beautiful red. It's it's uh, quite striking, and it matches the label for the Pearl Jam themed ah, bottles of BSB. That's pretty nifty there too. Yeah, she's she's really good at this. It could be something perfect uh, for you to post on Instagram as we've as we've seen or share on Pinterest. Absolutely, and uh, of course, if people are still interested in getting their Pearl Jam themed bottles of BSB and helping us raise money for the homeless effort, they can go to heritagedistilling.com and uh, order their bottles and they will be shipped to them or if they're in the Seattle area you can pick them up at any of our distillery tasting rooms. Perfect, including the new Capitol Hill location. Capitol Hill location and Ballard and if you're listening to us in eastern Washington over in Roslyn or down south Puget Sound in uh, Gig Harbor. Well, perfect. You heard it there. You can always, of course, check out heritagedistilling.com. That's where you can find Cast Club Radio if you want to catch up on past episodes of the podcast. Also available at cairoradio.com. And Justin, one more time, social media, people where they can check out these recipes and hear these news stories if they want to catch up on that. Social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, at Cast Club Radio. We ask you to go to iTunes and rate us and Pinterest. Uh, again, Pinterest just continues to grow for us dramatically. Tons and tons of cocktail ideas, pictures, and then the links on the pictures to the actual cocktail themselves. So we still have several weeks of summer uh, before Labor Day, and then historically our weather is beautiful into and through September. Lots of cocktail season ahead. Go to Pinterest on our Heritage Stilling Pinterest page and share and uh, download your favorite cocktails. Perfect. Well, hopefully everybody has an enjoyable weekend, enjoys Seafair gets good tan and, of course, is safe out there. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.